So, all right. Um, it is really good to see a lot of new faces tonight. Uh, I hope that tonight is a good night for you. It's, it's another, um, I would call it more of a serious topic than some of the ones that we've covered, but um, tonight's message, it might hit closer to home for some of you than others, but my goal uh, is that, and my prayer is that everybody walks out of here tonight with a better understanding of the hurts that we face in life. That's what we're going to talk about. Uh, tonight's message is called Life Hurts, and, um, and, and how we can handle those hurts in a biblical way. And so tonight's true-false statements, they're going to center around some statistics um, that I, that I want to talk about. That These statistics, statistics they'll help kind of jumpstart our conversation uh, for tonight. So are you guys ready? We're just going to do three of them tonight. Okay, first statement. First statement, depression is the most common mental health disorder among, among teens and adults in the U.S. How many of you think that's true? How many of you think that's false? That is true. Who's not voting? Raise your hand. You need to vote. 100% votage. I'm pretty sure that's a word. Second statement. Suicide is the third leading cause of death among f- those 15 to 24 years old. How many think that's true? How many think that's false? How many of you didn't vote? Just kidding. That is true. That's also true. And it's also the fourth leading cause of death among 9 to 14-year-olds. Okay? So, final statement then. Each year... One in five females and one in seven males engage in self-injury, so like cutting or burning or things like that. How many think that's true? One in five females, one in seven males. How many think that's false? True? False? Didn't vote? Okay, just double-checking. That's also true. I made them all true tonight so that, so that these would kind of stick in your head, okay? These are kind of sobering facts, aren't they? I mean, if you think about some of this stuff. Um, there was an article last month in December in the Woodford County Journal, and, uh, and it talked about the results of a statewide survey funded by the Illinois Department of Human Services. This survey was called uh, the Illinois Youth Survey, and some of you may be familiar with it um, because you participated in it. In uh, Woodford County alone, there were about 1,800, almost 1,900 students, 1,899 students in Woodford County that participated in this survey recently. And um, this survey asked students questions about a wide variety of things from um, their thoughts about suicide to bullying to drug and alcohol behaviors to nutrition, exercise, all kinds of stuff like that. And so the, the Woodford County results, I found out from this uh, this article in the paper that the Woodford County results are posted online so you can go and look at them. And so um, over this past week, I was kind of looking at these results and I found some stats in there that, that really just kind of made me pause for a minute and, and they affirmed the need for us to talk about this, this kind of stuff tonight. Okay, I want you to just listen for a second to some of these statistics. <coughs> Excuse me. In the five schools, there's, there was five high schools surveyed in Woodford County for this, for this survey. In those five high schools, 19% of the students answered yes when asked if they, were, if they ever seriously considered attempting to commit suicide. 
22% of Eureka High School sophomores responded yes when asked the following question on the survey. In the past 12 months, did you ever feel so bad or hopeless every day for two weeks or more in a row that you stopped doing some usual activities? 22% of Eureka sophomores said yes. Things got so bad that they quit doing their normal activities, or at least some of them. That's almost a quarter of our sophomores that answered yes to that question. Out of all the EHS seniors, who who are my seniors in here? (laughs) All three of you. Out of all the EHS seniors responding to the survey, 8% said they considered suicide and and 16% experienced depression. These are your classmates. This isn't just this isn't Woodford County. This is Eureka High School. 8% said they considered suicide and 16% experienced depression. Another question on the survey asks students to answer how true they believe this statement to be. At school, I do things that make a difference. Of all the students that answered that county uh, that answered that question from Woodford County, 21% of 6th graders, 22% of 8th graders, 16% of 10th graders, and 22% of 12th graders marked the answer very much true, which basically tells me that on average in this county, less than a quarter of the students in middle school and in high school are fully confident that they matter to their classmates and their teachers. Like, no doubt. That tells me that three quarters have at least some thought in their mind, do I really make a difference? When asked, is there a teacher or some other adult at school who really cares about me, on average, only 46% of the students in the county who took the survey were fully confident that there was at least one adult in the school who actually genuinely cared about them. Now, I'm not going to take that stat and I'm not going to turn that and, and go, uh, it's all the teacher's fault, okay, or, the, or the, um, the school staffing and all that. That's not what I'm here to do, but in fact, another question on the survey asked, is there an adult you know, other than your parent, that you could talk to about important things in your life? And on average, 86% of the students surveyed answered at least one adult or more. And then uh, an average of around 71% of surveyed students said that they felt close to people at their school. So what I want to know then is where is this disconnect? How can, uh, how can a quarter or almost three-quarters of the students have some kind of doubt that they make a difference, and, and how can uh, over half of the students in the county say they don't think any of their teachers, or, or at least have doubts that their teachers and the staffing at the school care about them genuinely, and yet at the same time, they can go, uh, they can think of at least one or more, most of them can think of at least one or more adult in their life that they could talk to. And, and most of them, at least almost three-quarters of them, said that they f- did feel close to people at their school. H- how is their disconnect here? Where is that? What is that? Why do so many students still have tendencies toward depression and suicidal thoughts? So in this article then in the paper, uh, there was a, uh, they interviewed um, Dr. Morgan Beckman. She's a resident psychiatrist at Methic... Meth- Methodist Medical Center in Peoria. And she says this, she says that one of the biggest problems facing mental health in our society is that we don't talk about it. So tonight, I want to talk about it. Okay? 
And I know that, that some of you, maybe some of you in here are, are in these categories, that you're one of those percentages that you answered some of those things. And I want you to know that I'm glad you're here. Tonight's not meant to drive you further into depression or, or to, to tell you that you're wrong or anything like that. Tonight, I, my hope is that you leave here with hope, okay, and that we can talk about this and, and, and that you can see that, um, that somewhere in there, there's this disconnect where students want to talk, but they just either can't or don't know how because they feel like they can with people, but, but it's not happening. And so tonight, I want to I wanna help you uh, learn to talk about it and learn how you, uh, as a believer in Christ, as a follower of Christ, if you're not struggling with something, how you can come alongside somebody else who is, okay? So, see, I, I look at these statistics, and, and I don't know if... I'm hoping that that hits home for you guys, but for me, look, this breaks my heart to, to know that there are students out there and in here that are hurting Students who feel surrounded and isolated at the same time. Students who are being emotionally and physically and sexually abused and feel trapped. Students who are being bullied and made fun of and feel defenseless. Students who are being ignored and made to feel unwanted or unimportant. Students who don't feel like they belong anywhere or matter to anyone. But what breaks my heart the most is is to know that there are students who feel like they have people in their lives that they could talk to, but for some reason, they're not. That that, that option is available, that, that the resource is there, but they're just not using it. And that breaks my heart because I don't see, uh, it's hard to see hope in that, right? And if, and if that's you in here and you just don't know who to talk to or what, what to say, uh, I pray that you, you keep listening because there is hope. And so what happens then is because they can't verbally communicate these things, they can't, they can't talk to anybody about them, what they do then is they look for other ways to cope with the pain they feel, and so some will turn to self-harm, like cutting or burning or a, a whole list of other things. They might do it to, uh, d- to divert their pain. They figure that if they, can control, if they can't control their emotional pain that they feel that they're going through, uh, then they can at least turn that into physical pain that they can, that they can control. And they can, they can control the rate and the intensity of this physical pain that they're inflicting on themselves and at least turn that into something that they can control when everything else feels like it's, it's out of control. But really what happens is it only brings temporary relief, right? And so uh, what, what becomes a, a quick relief ends up turning into uh, more of a a serious problem, right? It can become a self-destructive addiction. And so others inflict self-harm as a cry for help because they can't or they don't know how to, to verbally reach out to others. They mark up their bodies hoping that others will notice and ask them about it, right? It's this is like the only way. It's like, please see this. See my arms and see my legs and see my hands and, and these things and, and, and please reach out to me because I can't. I can't reach out to you. And so some will harm themselves just to see if others will actually notice and, and to see who really cares about them enough to say something. So others might not harm themselves to cope with their pain, but they may actually focus on hurting others instead of reaching out for help. Look, they might actually become the bully, right? 
Bullying is one of those things that if you're on the other end of it, you're the one being bullied, then that can drive you to depression and other things. But sometimes, if you think about the bullies themselves, they're probably more often than not hiding something of their own. Because what that is, is that's something else that they can control. That's something, some kind of power that they can exert over something other than uh, what's being exerted over them. And so a lot of times they're doing this to mask their own insecurities and their own pain. They're covering it up. It's a way to appear strong and in control to everybody else while really while their life is, is in chaos. And so what happens then is many who, who don't really know how to cope with their pain, uh, even, even if they go for these other options, those don't last. And, and so what happens is they just sink lower and lower and lower into depression. And, and that's why depression is the number one mental uh, health problem in our country. Because people don't know how to, to work through the pain in their life. See, they begin to, to be less interested in the things that they used to enjoy. They lose interest in extra, extracurricular activities. They start having regular problems with schoolwork. Now, I'm not talking about like you get into a new math class and you really just don't get Algebra 2, right? I'm talking like you used to be good at this and now all of a sudden you're not. A, a change, like a, like a 180 almost. Start having problems with your schoolwork. They turn to alcohol or drugs to help numb the pain. Uh, their sleep habits change. They either sleep a lot or a little. They begin to make significant changes to their normal behavior. And, and people will notice. But some people are afraid to ask about it. And so they just go further and further into depression. And ultimately, listen, if they don't get help, then they begin to have thoughts about suicide because, see, they don't see another option for coping with what they're feeling. And so to them, eventually, since nobody else is reaching out to them and they can't help themselves, that seems like the only way out. And so that's why we have suicide rates that are so high. Some people who end up cutting or or burning or or self-mutilating end up committing suicide not on purpose, but because they just can't control the amount of pain that they're dealing to themselves and it goes too far. These are serious things that are actually happening, not in just in our county, but in your schools. Okay, and some of you are from Washington, but I, I guarantee you that the percentages would be uh, very similar over there. See, listen, it breaks my heart to see this kind of hurt in even one student, let alone the number that we just talked about. And if you're in here tonight and that's you, then I want you to know that you're not alone. Okay, and I'm being serious when I say this. I'm not trying to over-dramatize this, but you need to know that. Because right now you're probably sitting in your seat and you're going, if, if, look, if these students to my left and right only knew what I was going through, or, or you're sitting here in the middle of all these students and you feel like you're just completely by yourself, well, you're not. So if you have a Bible, I want to I show you. I want to show you that this is not a new problem either. If you have a Bible, open it up to Psalm chapter 13. Okay, Psalms in the Old Testament. Um, it's really about halfway through your Bible itself. Psalms is a big book. So Psalm chapter 13. And so uh, this, this Psalm, it was written by King David, and now he was the king of Israel, and, and, and yet 
even this, this king of Israel felt hurt and alone sometimes. And if you read several of the Psalms, David, King David wrote many of the Psalms, and a lot of them are Psalms of despair. At least they start out that way. And so does this one. And so uh, I want you to follow along with me as I read verses 1 through 4. This is Psalm 13, verses 1 through 4. It says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. You see, in this psalm, King David, he's driven to deep sorrow because of the circumstances around him. He's depressed. He's depressed. And so depression itself isn't something new that, that our culture picked up. But he's depressed. Four times in the first two verses, he says, how long? So have you ever been there before? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever felt like there was no end in sight to your pain? And you're sitting there and you're just, you're just like, man, when will this end? Will it? David is broken, and he's tired, and he's hurting, and he wants an answer. And if the psalm ended in verse 4, it would be a pretty hopeless passage of Scripture, wouldn't it? In fact, it would, it would uh, instead of being an encouragement, it's, it's not something that I would go to for encouragement if that's where Psalm 13 ended. If I was already depressed, that would not make me happier, right? It would make me feel like there's no hope in anyone or anything else. And, and, and more often than not, our culture buys into this lie and says, look, you gotta, you gotta look out for number one. You gotta take care of yourself because everybody else around you is out to get you and is gonna hurt you if you open yourself up and you let anybody else in. And so listen, you're strong enough and you can do this by yourself. So just pick yourself up, right? And this trial, it'll only make you stronger. I think there's even a song about that. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? This is our culture. This is the message that our culture sends. You can do this by yourself. Can I just be honest with you for a second? I can't think of a single trial in my life that I've tried to tackle on my own that's actually made me stronger. Can anybody relate to that? I can't think of a single thing in my life, a hardship or struggle or, or trial that, that I'm like, I can do this. I got this, right? And then I do it, and then look what I did. I'm better for it. No, every time I try and do it on my own, what ends up happening is I get into more trials, right? It makes me weaker on my own because I can't do it on my own because I wasn't meant to do it on my own. And I think deep down inside that we're all looking for hope in the midst of our pain. I think, I think that's something that we are naturally, that we naturally go to, even if you won't admit it. I think in the midst of you, I, look, I really don't think anybody likes pain, ultimately. 
And so we look for hope, but I think sometimes we're afraid to ask for it or we're afraid that if we do, that it actually won't be there. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 that there is a hope, though, that will anchor us to someone who is unshaken by the circumstances in our lives. And this hope, this, this hope brings us courage because that someone, and his name is Jesus Christ, goes ahead of us and leads us into the inner sanctuary of God. This is what Hebrews 6 says. And do you know what we find in the inner sanctuary? We don't always find better circumstances. We may, but, but that's not guaranteed. But what we can find and what we will find when we, when we anchor ourselves to this hope and this, this person of Jesus, and he leads us to the Father and this inner sanctuary, we'll find peace and we'll find comfort and we'll find rest and more hope. It's comfort, it's, it's peace that, that says, and, and knowing that God is always with us, no matter what we, we may face in life. At least five different times in the Bible, we're reminded that God will never leave us nor forsake us, and that promise is for those that put their trust in him. And not only is he with, with us in those circumstances, but he's already gone through everything that we will ever face and that we have ever faced. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And then verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, in Psalm 13, King David cried out to God in the midst of of deep pain and deep sorrow. He was going through a lot of stuff. And in the midst of that outcry, he remembered God's faithfulness. See, the psalm doesn't end there at verse 4. So let's let's look at how it ends. Continue on to verse 5. It says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good for me. Now, what I want to know is how can King David go from deep despair to singing a joyful song in just six verses, right? This, to me, this seems like, like one of those, um, like when you're, when you're checking your email or something, and there's, there's a pop-up ad that says, click here for this secret tip on losing belly fat. You know what I mean? You, you picking, you tracking with me, you know what I'm saying? Like, click here for going from, from depression to joy in six easy sentences. You know what I'm saying? Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't happen that often. And so what I want to know is how? How does he, how does he go from, from being in such deep despair to such complete peace and joy and hope? Well, he remembered that in the midst of his circumstances that he was anchored to God's love and faithfulness. And because of that, he was able to boldly approach the throne of grace and then find grace and find mercy to help him in his time of need. Listen, God sees what you're going through right now. And he knows what's on the other side of it. And he wants you to know that he loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you so that you don't have to be chained up to pain and death for the rest of your life. There is hope in Jesus Christ. 
And you can approach the, God with confidence and mercy and find grace and, and, and mercy to help you in your time of need. That promise is for you too. You see, God loves you. And the pain that we experience in this life is not, is not something that God originally designed for us. It's caused by sin. Sin brought death and pain into this world, and so God is in the process of, of uh, redeeming us in that. He sent his son to die for it, to pay the, the price for it, and so now we wait for his return so that one day it says that we're going to live with him forever in a place where there will be no more crying, where there will be no more pain. See, in our culture, in our world, we just think that there is no hope and that, that you have to make your way, right? You have to do it on your own. You're strong enough. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. What doesn't kill you makes you tired, right? It makes me tired. I need something else to make me stronger, and so some of you in here right now, you might be thinking, well, that's King David's story. That's it's Psalms. That's like thousands of years ago. Uh, it's outdated, and, he, and it doesn't really relate to what I'm going through right now. Obviously, none of you in here are kings, right? Anyone? Wendy. So, look, that might be true, okay? You might have different circumstances than, than King David, but... But the truth is that God's love for you still remains because God is the same God that he was yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so he's unchanging. He's, his, his faithfulness, his goodness, his love, it, it's unmoving. Okay, it's unchanging. And so what's, what's true for King David thousands of years ago holds true for us today. Um, but I want you to hear a story tonight that, uh, that maybe you can and will hopefully relate to, Okay. And uh, I'm going to ask Michelle Agnew to come up here and share with you the hope that she found in Jesus Christ as she dealt with, with really despair in her own life, okay? So will you join me in welcoming her? Awesome. Hey, guys. Um, just so you kind of know a little bit about me, um, my name is Michelle. And we have three beautiful daughters. And I'm married to the most awesome guy in the world that I think so. You know him as Nick. <laughs> and so um, this is the first time I've been at Hype, which is totally awesome, I think. I was there at the uh, kickoff for the event, but you guys are totally cool and make me feel young. So thank you. That's right. I am kind of young. Let's see. So anyways, um, giving you kind of a, an update of my story, um, do you mind if I just pray for a second? <laughs> Lord, I just pray that you would be my words today. That you would speak through me with the pain that I have felt in my life and the things that I've gone through and how you've been there for me. And that you would use this story, Lord, to touch some of the students that are out there today. Might be going through similar or maybe different things but can relate in some way. And I pray, Lord, that you would take away my fear and my vulnerability. That I would know, Lord, that this is just for all your glory. When you're in pray. Amen. Thank you. Okay. So um, the first time I can remember having dealt with depression was when I was in um, junior high and high school. And I had a lot of different things going on for me. 
uh, on the outside, everything seemed to be all together. Um, I was popular, quote unquote, in terms of I had a lot of people that wanted to talk to me in the halls and um, you know things like that. But I had gone through a change in my actual friends because the friends that I was hanging out with um, in seventh and eighth grade, in my freshman year in high school, they started doing drugs and alcohol. And I was very strong in my youth group and felt that was something that I was not ready to get involved in. And so I tried to lovingly explain that I didn't want to be involved in that. And my friends didn't receive that very well. And they were very, very mean to me um, at the time. And I did have lots of other people, again, that were acquaintances of mine, but I didn't really have anybody to really talk to. So you can be somewhere and have all these people around you and everybody thinks everything's great, but on the inside I just totally felt isolated and by myself. Um, there were times when I was with a lot of people and everything was okay, and then there were times that I was struggling because of a certain circumstance that had happened. I had excellent grades. Um, I was in all kinds of extracurricular activities. I was involved in everything. Teachers loved me. I was a people pleaser. And because I wanted to make everybody happy, I was taught to put a smile on your face all the time, never make anyone think that you're sad or upset about something. Um, no matter what the situation, you had to turn it into a positive. And so because I had to be happy and I had to avoid conflict, even though I felt so sad and depressed and sorry inside, I couldn't let anybody see that. And that struggle was exhausting. Because during the day, I would put on this act that everything was great. Um, and when you don't feel well like that, and you're trying to pretend like it's OK, it takes every ounce of energy that you have. talking through the different ways people respond when they're going through depression, I was one that, that slept a lot. Um, but then I'd be so tired, then I couldn't sleep at all. So it was a combination of the two for me. And the more and more that I kept putting on this facade that everything was okay on the outside, the more I began to hate myself on the inside because I was fake and I was phony and I was putting on this show and I wasn't really this person. I would look in the mirror I was putting on weight on an, over and over again, and the, I would look in the mirror and say, how does anyone even want to talk to you? you know, you're fake. You're not even real. You're horrible inside. If anyone knew this was really going inside, going on, they wouldn't want to be your friend. No one would want to talk to you. No one would want to spend any time with you. And so it just kept perpetuating itself every single time anything would go on. All I would hear is these negative thoughts about myself, about how bad of a person I was. And I just thought if someone found out, they were totally going to judge me. And everything that I'd worked so hard for would all go away. So it led to a total self-hatred of myself. Um, I couldn't stand to even look at myself in the mirror, honestly, anymore. And I just felt completely isolated and alone. And although I was one of those students that knew there were people that loved me and that I could talk to them if I just tried. I was too afraid to because, again, I thought, if they only knew, I don't know if they'll still love me or not. And no one understood what I was going through, or so I thought, because 
I thought no one else was having these feelings like I was. You know, so I was all alone and isolated. And I had lost complete control of the external things. And so the way that I could handle things and try and put them into perspective and, and keep control of myself was I was both a cutter and a person that burned myself. So without going into all the gory details, I used to cut um, and burn happy face into my left hand, my left wrist. It sounds so silly now looking back at it, but it was my way to tell myself to be happy. That if for some reason I had you know, something branded on myself to be happy that I would be. So I started um, the self-mutilation. It wasn't really, it might have been a subconscious cry for help, but I did it in hidden places. So in the summertime, I was still wearing long sleeve shirts. They didn't want people to know that I was doing this to myself, because again, it was my secret, and I didn't want anyone to know about it. So it was a really a way for me to punish myself for being me. Again, I had gotten to the point where I just hated myself. It was horrible. Um, I had no other control. And finally, I got to a point where my youth pastor, because I was very involved in my youth group, like I said, um, noticed that things were, something wasn't right. Um, and he kind of cornered me to where I didn't have a choice. I had to talk to him, and he said, I know nothing's right. And by that time, there was so much exhaustion from trying to put on this facade for so long, I just completely lost it. And um, on my knees, I can just remember just sitting on the, at the altar and, and just, I mean, sobbing uncontrollably because of how much I hated myself. And not that I had done even anything really bad. I just, all of the negative thoughts in my head just continued, and that was, I truly believe, you know, Satan plants the seed, and then it continues to grow and grow and grow until that's all you hear is the negative things about yourself. And when I was on my knees and we were praying and he was praying for me, I'd exhausted all hope of my own. I could not do this anymore. I could not keep up the act. I couldn't um, pretend like everything was okay. I heard the still small voice inside my head as the Holy Spirit that was saying to me, you are loved because you're my daughter. And my identity, my identity was in Christ, not because of anything that I did right, the number of friends I had, or how I felt inside. And you know what? He loves me anyways, even when I make those mistakes, even when I'm not perfect, because I'm never going to be perfect. So I did use those relationships. I mentioned my youth pastor, and then um, together we went to my parents. And I mean, you could imagine the, the crushed look on your parents' face to know that your child has been hurting themselves because they hate themselves so much. Now, as a parent, looking back, I can't imagine having that conversation with my children. You know, what I learned was all of these things were outward signs of a heart issue. I was trying to do it all myself. I was trying to make the right decisions and trying to stand up for things that were all the right decisions and were all for the right reasons, except instead of leaning on anybody or finding help, I tried to do it by myself, and I couldn't. I was not physically able to do it. And I would love to be able to wrap this up and say, everything's great now, I pulled through, everything's fantastic, I've never had any issues, but I would not be being honest with you. 
that was like my sophomore year when all that happened. And I can remember then in my senior year, um, I was in music and drama and all that kind of stuff. And it was right before some big event, whatever it was. And I can remember seeing um, an underclassman sitting outside of like the dressing room area. And she just looked really sad. And so I went over and I talked with her. And you know, I just asked her what was going on. And she's like, yeah, I just don't really want to talk about it. And I said, you know, we, one thing kind of led to another. We just kept talking through it. And I found that she was having the same issues that I had gone through in my life, even just two years before. And at that point in time, everything was feeling good, you know, where I was in the word and I was, um, you know, assured of myself because of my relationship with Christ. And I was able to talk with her in that situation. And I found that she was planning to go home and kill herself that night. And God allowed me to be a vessel at that time to talk with her about that opportunity. And she started coming to church with me. And um, she found God in the process. And I say that not for my glory at all. Um, I say that to let you know that sometimes we go through difficult times because in our path, we're going to cross through, cross by some other student, a coworker, um, a friend, somebody else that you might come in contact with that they need someone to relate to with to them too. And just like Eric was talking about, that you need to reach out to somebody. And if you're not struggling with these things, you can come alongside someone and help them. Um, I was able to do that because I had gone through. And as a result of that, I, I understood where she was coming from. Because you do feel like in these situations, no one understands unless they've gone through it too. So today, things are relatively good. I have not had a really major bout of depression for almost two years. Um, but there are times when it definitely creeps up. I continue to struggle with it. And when I feel those kind of times come up, um, I really talk to Nick and I talk to a counselor if I need to. Um, you know, there are times when medication or a professional psychologist is needed. It does not mean that you're, there's anything wrong with you. That was one of my big things. I kept saying it was my secret because I was so ashamed of it. Like I had done something wrong or there was something wrong with me or someone would make fun of me or call me a freak or I'm crazy or something like that. And I just couldn't stand the thought of that. But there's nothing wrong with you if that's the case. I mean, look at the statistics and you're not alone. There are so many people that are struggling with similar types of things. Who I am now, I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That God, and through Jesus, came and covered all of my sins and everything that I've done wrong and all of the bad things that I think about myself. He's covered those up. And I am his. And now, it's almost like, while this felt like a curse at the time, it's a gift now. Because now I'm able to use this as an opportunity to reach out to people that might be going through similar type situations and be you know, a listening ear for them or a way for them to reach out and get the help that they might need. Questions? Thanks for being vulnerable with us, Michelle, and, and for sharing that. Um, I think... To me, this is that I love how God orchestrates things. Um, this was kind of a last-minute thing to have her speak, and it was something that I had totally forgotten about. 
as I was preparing for this message, and, and e- this was even like literally just last night going, uh, she sent me an email and said, hey, would, do you want me, because she knew what the topic was, and she's like, do you want me to be there for that? And I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, if you don't know Michelle right now, she works in uh, human resources, and so she gets to take this experience that she uh, had and, and use that to just kind of work with people and, and be in relationship with people at her job. And, um, and so I, I, said, I said, man, I really would love to have you share your testimony, but I, I'm sorry I didn't ask you sooner. I forgot about it. And uh, she emailed me back this morning. It's like, I'd love to share. And I love how just in the midst of that, uh, everything that she shared, like I'm, she just finished my message, basically, um, and, and hit all the points that I wanted to hit. And, and I love how God takes that and, and says, because somebody in here needs to hear this, obviously. Because this is not some orchestration thing that I put together. This is something that God brought together, this message for somebody in here to hear. And, uh, and so I'm thankful. I'm thankful that you're, you're listening to the Holy Spirit and you're willing to do that. Um, to me, Michelle's story serves as a great reminder that not only God is always with us, but that he created us to be with each other, right? We need community with one another. But as a culture, we've created this, this false sense of community. You see, we've taken something that was meant to be real and personal and relational, and, and we've turned it into Facebook posts and tweets and text messages, right? We think that, that by typing the, the less than sign and, and the, you know, three, that, uh, yeah, you, you stick that on the end of a text and, and somebody's supposed to know that you love them, right? Or on the Facebook post, even now, like you type that in and it turns it into a heart and it's like, oh, right? I'm loved. And see, what, what social media networks like Facebook have done then is that they've enabled somebody to reach out for help while still remaining isolated from the community that they so desperately need. And you know what I'm talking about. Somebody will post a status like, worst day ever, right? Or I hate my life. Or I can't do this anymore. And it's a draw. It's, it's, it's like they're fishing. They, they want people to respond to that. And, and people do. And, when, and they respond to it with things like this. Cheer up. Love ya. Heart. Right? Or you deserve better. Think positive thoughts. Or sending positive thoughts your way. Now, can I just pause here and tell you that that bugs the crap out of me? And that might get me in trouble with some of you or some of your parents, but it annoys me to no end to hear people say that because it's empty and it's meaningless. If you really pay attention, if you really listen to that, because look, first of all, doesn't the fact that I'm depressed mean that I'm already having trouble thinking positively? If you were listening to Michelle's uh, testimony, she said that almost word for word. She couldn't. That's why she burned a happy face into her wrist to remind her to be happy, right? So to me, when somebody says think positive thoughts, all they're doing is burning a happy face into your wrist on Facebook. Like, oh, thank you for solving all of my problems. 
I didn't realize that all I have to do is stop thinking negatively and start thinking positively and that everything would be okay. I'm cured, right? You fixed me. But look, if it were that easy, depression wouldn't be the number one mental health problem in our country. For teens and adults. And, and what does it even mean to send positive thoughts somebody's way? Like, are you going to channel up some kind of, just like from way down deep, like this positive energy, and it's going to focus right here into your mind, and you're just going to be like, <laughs> right? Like, what does that do? Nothing. It does nothing. It's empty. Look, when I'm feeling down, what I need is to be assured that I'm, when I'm in a lonely place, what I need is to be assured that, that there's someone out there who may not be able to relate to what I'm going through, but it, that will at least be willing to go through it with me. Right? And isn't that what you really want? Even if they don't fully grasp or fully understand what it is that you're dealing with, if you have somebody that says, you know what? I don't know exactly, but I'm willing to walk through this with you. Doesn't that start to bring hope? And I'm not talking about the person who posts on a comment on your wall and says, hey, send me a private message and, and tell me what's up, right? Pick up the phone and call that person and say, hey, I can tell something's wrong. Do you want to talk about it? Look, I, I, I'm... I'm available right now. I will come over to your house and I will sit down and I will talk to you. And I won't try and give you all these answers and tell you what you need to do, but I'll just listen to you share about your pain and your hurt and the things that you're struggling with and what's on your heart. And I might not be able to give you all the answers, but guess what? I will not leave until I know that, that you have some peace. And I will walk through this with you. And if it takes another day or another day or another day, or a week, or a month, or a year, or whatever, I want you to know that there's somebody here, and it's me, and who loves you, and I want you to know that there's somebody else, and his name is Jesus, who loves you, and who died for you, and he has hope for you. Isn't that what we really want? That is true community. It's not Facebook community. Facebook community, community leaves you isolated in the middle of everyone else, okay? I want to illustrate this real quick. So I need one volunteer who's not afraid to get blindfolded, Maddie. Okay, and I need a, a hype leader to take Maddie. We're going to do this quick, okay? To take Maddie out to the uh, family room there. Thank you. Michelle's going to take you. Uh, you're going to blindfold her, and then we need to make sure that the kitchen door is shut and closed. Uh, and those other two doors are closed so that Maddie cannot hear what's going on in here, okay? And then I'll have another hype leader go get them in a second after I explain to you guys what we're going to do. Can you shut those two doors back there, John? It's fine. It's turned off. The soundboard's turned off in that room, right? Okay. Can you hear me back there? Hello, hello, hello? Okay. 
I want to leave my, my microphone on so when this goes on the podcast, the parents that listen will be like, they can know what's going on, okay? That's one of the reasons I want to leave this on. So, good? Okay. Okay, so here's what I want you guys to do. I want every one of you in here to think about, except for you, I have something else for you, okay? I want all of you, I want every one of you in here to think of some kind of command, okay? Like, touch your ear, snap your fingers, pick your nose, spin around, okay? Clap your hands, do jumping jacks. Everyone in here, try and think of something. Get that one thought in your mind, okay? And what's going to happen is when Maddie comes back in, as soon as she comes back in, I want you to start yelling that one command over and over and over and over at the top of your lungs, okay? Don't switch commands. Don't switch commands. Just keep yelling that same thing over and over and over, okay? And Abby, what I want you to do is I want you to just point to this chair and yell as loud as you can, come sit in this chair, you don't, that's fine. That's fine. Okay? We'll talk about that in a minute. That's what I want you to do, though. I want you to yell as loud as you can. Come sit in this chair. Okay? Does everybody have an idea of what you want? Okay? Clap your hands, snap your fingers, whatever. But you're going to yell that as loud as you can when she opens the doors and she walks in. Okay? Go ahead and open the doors. As soon as she walks in. Wait, wait till, wait, till, wait till she comes in. <laughs> she jumped the gun. Also, you, need, you can't move, okay? So you, you could stand up if you want, but you, but you can't move from your spot. Neither can you, Abby. Okay? You can't move. You have to stay there, okay? But you can stand up if you want. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Wait till she comes in. Michelle, you can bring up a little closer. Just a little closer. Okay, okay, stop, okay, 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 take her back out there for one more, t- one more second, please. Good job, one more time, one more time, one more time, that was fantastic, one more time, you can do it, Maddie. Okay. We'll wait till they close the door again. <clears throat> you hurt your throat? Okay. Okay, shh, 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 shh. Listen, this time, everyone is going to do the exact same thing, but Abby, this time when she comes in, I want you to go up to her, and I want you to, I want you to take her arm, okay, and I want you to say to her, listen, I'm going to take you to sit down, and I want you to trust me. Okay? And just keep reassuring her over and over and over. You don't have to yell. If you need to, to raise your voice a little bit to get over the crowd, that's fine. But I want you to grab her arm and I want you to say, I'm going to take you to sit down. I want you to trust me. Okay? You got it? 
Everybody else, you're going to yell the same thing that you just yelled. Okay? Sam, come back in. Super loud, super loud. As soon as you see her, you can walk to her. Okay, all right. Give her, give her a hand, give her a hand. You can take a blindfold off. Good work. Good work. All right, so let's talk about this for a second. Let's talk about this for a second. Uh, Maddie, the first time you came in, could you hear anyone in here telling you to come sit in that chair? Why not? Because people were screaming at my face. Because people were screaming at your face. Okay. Let me ask you something. How did you feel when you came in and everybody started yelling at you? Um, like, Michelle let me go, and I was just like, what do I do? Like, I didn't know what to do. And I saw you kind of start to walk, and I, I don't know if you were leaning in to try and pinpoint somebody or to listen here or there, but eventually you just kind of threw your arms out, right? Like, okay. And so, Abby, which was more productive then, yelling the first time? Or going up to Maddie and walking beside her and telling her, hey, follow me. Right? Why do you think that was? Okay, that's fine. We'll talk about it. Maddie, how did you feel the second time when, when Michelle let go of you and then you felt somebody else grab your arm and start to say, hey, come follow me and, and I'll walk with you? That's fine. But, um, it just felt like somebody was there with me, like, kind of like what we're talking about, like God or somebody you wanted to talk to is just bringing you in and trying to help you. Okay. Do you see the difference between real community and <coughs> fake community? It's, look, it is completely possible to be surrounded by people and still feel alone. Okay, you heard Michelle talk about that. Maddie just experienced that. It's hard to pick out a voice when everybody's yelling at you. And, and hundreds of friends can throw out a comment at you on Facebook and then just move on. And so it's no different than standing in a room being blindfolded because there's no, face, there's no face-to-face on Facebook. Right? It's ironic, isn't it? There's no face-to-face on Facebook. And, and so all you do is you get these random comments from people that are just lobbing shouts to you, trying to tell you to go this way or do this thing. But that's not really community, is it? Listen to Proverbs 18, 24. It says, a, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Listen, being in a crowd just makes people more aware of their isolation sometimes. And so when you're surrounded by 500 friends on Facebook, all it does is drive you more into feeling alone. 
We all need friends who will come close to us, who will walk up to us, who will step into the mess with us. Because listen, I don't know anybody in here who has a perfect life. If you do, raise your hand. Anyone? Okay. We have a saying here at Crosspoint. It says, no perfect people allowed. And you know why? Because there is no perfect people. There are no perfect people. We need, we need a friend who will listen to us, who will care for us, who will offer help where it's needed no matter what, even if that's just simply standing next to us and, and holding us, right? Proverbs seventeen seventeen says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. It's easy to be a friend, quote unquote, online. It's harder to be the friend who doesn't log out of the friendship when you log out of Facebook, Right? We all need friends who will stick closer to us than a brother, and we also need to be a friend who will stick closer than a brother. But we can't do that on our own strength. So you see, it's only by God's grace and his love that we can even extend true grace and love to others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. In any trouble. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. We go through things in life so that we can comfort others who go through the same things. And our hope for you is firm because we know that, it, that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. You see, when we come out of something, we see the hope in that, and that hope is what we can extend to somebody else who's going through the same thing because we see the other side. Jesus promised us in John 16, that we would have trouble in the world. But he says, I have told you these things so that you will find peace in me. Because he has overcome the world. God comforts us through our trials and our hurt so that we can have a better understanding of the depth of his love and his grace and his truth and his mercy for us. And so we can take that understanding then and use it to comfort and love others who are going through the same things that we went through. God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a trial in our lives. If we let him, he'll use it. So, truth is, sometimes life hurts. And no matter what our culture says, you're not alone in whatever it is that you're going through, even right now. You have a God who sees you, who loves you, who died for you, who will never, ever leave you. And you have adult leaders in this room, and some of them aren't here tonight, but the same is true for them, who love you, who are willing to walk with you through whatever you're facing. Look, we see you. We know you. We're glad you're here, and we love you. You are not alone. I'm going to have the leaders come up. We're going to close here. I'm going to close this in prayer, and, and the leaders will be up here again this week, just like they were last week. So if you want to talk, you can come talk. 
and we won't try and fix your problem. We'll listen and we'll love you and, and, and we'll just come alongside you and say, look, I'm here for you, okay? And if the conversation doesn't end tonight, we'll still be here tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and next week because we're in it for the long haul. I mean it. We love you guys. And it breaks my heart to see anyone in here hurting and alone. Because you're not alone. You are loved. Let's pray. Psalm 73, 28 says, But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. God, for those hurting in here, would you show them your nearness? Would you help them to take refuge in you? God, would you put people in their path who can step into the mess and walk with them through their hurt? Would you show each one of us who it is in our own lives, God, that, uh, that, that's around us? Would you show us who's hurting? And would you help us bring your comfort and your love to those that hurt? Would you help us be the friend that sticks closer than a brother? And no matter how uncomfortable that might be, God, would you help us to lean in? Would you give us the willingness and the courage to step into the messiness of life with others and to help them find you? And God, most of all, would you help us to bring you glory as we reach out to bring hope to those who need it? It's in Jesus' name that we ask. Amen.